Hello, my name is Alex Newman and welcome to the latest in the Extraction podcast series from the IC in which we speak to the heads of natural resources companies. This morning I'm joined by Paul Welch, Chief Executive of SDX Energy, a £110 million market cap oil and gas company with exploration and production assets in North Africa, whose shares are up 300% since the company joined AIM a year ago this week. Paul, thanks for joining me. Thank you very Um, much. As you, you only joined AIM fairly recently, uh, there'll be a quite quite a few listeners who are unfamiliar with the company and the story. So could we maybe start by getting an overview of SDX and its its operations? Sure, sure. So thanks for having me. Um, again, we're TSX and AIM listed. As you said, we listed on AIM last year. We're focused on North Africa, uh, primarily onshore North Africa, and we have assets in both Egypt and Morocco at this point. We're producing about 4,000 barrels a day, um, and we have development opportunities, uh, production, and some just exciting exploration, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. So we kind of have the entire gamut of, uh, of opportunities in a relatively small company at the moment. So you're in Egypt and Morocco. Yes. Why Egypt? Why Morocco? So I think two different reasons. In Egypt, we're there because we, we like the business environment. We've been there for a long time. We've been there since 2008. So we understand how it works. And it has some of the best geology in, in North Africa. I mean, it's got three of the top 10 basins that deliver value over the last 10 years. Um, the fiscal terms are good. The business environment's great. You have a lot of local indigenous service companies, so that keeps your costs low. Um, so, so we like it for those reasons. In Morocco, it's a slightly different story. Uh, it's not as uh, well blessed with um, with hydrocarbons, but the fiscal terms are fantastic, and the local natural gas prices are wonderful. So, you know, there you pay a very small royalty and then thirty percent uh, corporate income tax, but you get a ten year tax holiday for that. So, your fiscal terms are extremely attractive, and the gas local gas market is very underserved. So, you know, we're selling gas at ten dollars uh, MMBTU, whereas in the rest of the world, you know, if you get four or five dollars, you're you're doing well. So for us, it's a very attractive economics, which is why we're there. I mean, in Egypt, uh, some natural resources companies have been uh, have occasionally struggled with getting paid yep. uh, issues around that. I mean, how do you mitigate against that? And, what, and what's your experience of doing business? In so, the yeah, so there's two year, two ways that we've mitigated that. I mean, firstly, we've taken a combination of Egyptian pounds and U.S. dollars. Um, some companies aren't in a position to do that. You know, we did a recent acquisition of a company called Circle. They didn't have the ability to take any Egyptian pounds, which meant their receivables were quite high. Um, because we have a lot of other businesses in Egypt and we can utilize those Egyptian pounds, we can take a combination of the two, which allows us to get paid a lot quicker. Um, we also don't have a huge amount of production there. I mean, we make, you know, 4,000 barrels a day. So our, you know, we're not a BP or a Shell where we, you know, have hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. So our revenue base is relatively small and we have a team on the ground that has relationships and, and works it very hard. So, you know, up until the time we took over Circle, we basically had zero receivables. Um, and now that we took an over, taken over Circle, we picked up some receivables, but we're slowly working those down. I think the government has made big strides um, in improving the commercial situation there. So I think you're going to see many people get paid back almost entirely uh, entirety over 2017. So I think we're not going to be unique anymore, and that will be paid back. So, so I think it's a combination of flexibility on currency and relationships that have allowed us to get paid. That being as it, as it may... I mean, Egypt's still a, a country which in the last 10 years has at various points been in a state of emergency. You know, there's mm-hmm. lots of trouble, uh, you know, in North Africa. For, you know, both an investor and as a director of an oil company, what's the sort of uh, risk premium you should you should apply to operating in, in countries like Morocco and Egypt? Well, in Morocco, I think it's be close to zero because it's very stable. It's got one of the best governments, I think, in, in North Africa. That's It's proven the king is well-liked and loved by its people. So there, I think the risk premium is quite small. Um, in Egypt, it's probably greater 
However, if you look at what's happened in the E&P uh, space over the time, you know, we've never had any security incidents in any of our fields or anybody else's. Um, we've never had any shutdowns uh, related to terrorism or, or business interruption. So they've, I think they've done a great job in kind of isolating the industry from macro events that don't involve us, let's say. We've been through three regime changes. Um, we've managed to, to operate and get paid uh, through the entire time. Um, we're not unique in that sense. I think many other companies have done the same thing. So I think the news portrays Egypt um, slightly riskier than I think we see it on the ground. So so for us, it's okay. It's not you know the North Sea, but it's not that bad. We we quite enjoy it, and we think that creates opportunities because people perceive it as having issues, and that keeps out the competition. So it allows us to get you know more deeply involved in, in things that perhaps a small company like us couldn't have in other parts of the world. So so we we kind of enjoy it there in that regard. So your your base in in Egypt obviously increased with the acquisition of of Circle Oil these assets from Circle. Oil. Yeah. I mean, and this has been a very, very busy year so far this year, and that, that acquisition was was made or announced in January. Yes. Given Circle Oil had to sell these assets eventually, and they were in chronic debt, what reassurance could you give investors that these weren't just cheap assets, but they're actually assets worth having? Okay, that's a good question. Well, I mean, the so we bought two assets from them. Right. We bought um, their Moroccan business in its entirety, and we bought uh, the Circle asset in Egypt. The asset in Egypt, we already own 10% of, and we'd been in that asset since 2008, as had Circle. So we knew it as well as they did. And so for us, it was a very simple acquisition of that. And when we looked at the opportunity initially, we were only focused on Egypt because it made perfect sense to, to roll into our portfolio. It took us from 10% to 50%. And so it was that's what we were interested in. As part of the exercise to evaluate it, we then looked at Tunisia and we looked at Morocco. And we actually really liked the Moroccan business. And so we made a concerted effort to push for both Egypt and Morocco. And at the moment, we're actually making more cash from Morocco than we are from the Egypt that we, uh, the asset we picked up from Circle in Egypt. So we did a lot of due diligence. It took us a year to pull the deal off. So we're very comfortable with what we picked up um, is we paid the right price and we're getting a decent return. So, I mean, just to put it in perspective for your listeners, we paid $30 million uh, for the Circle assets and they're going to deliver $22 million in free cash flow in 2017. So the payout is just over a year. So, you know, for us, we think we paid the right price. Right. And, and those assets include both, you know, as you say, obviously, there's cash generation there, but also exploration assets. I mean, yes. g- given your size, I mean, you're still relatively, you know, you're a relatively small c- company at the moment. Yes, true. <laughs> I mean, what are the challenges of managing a joint exploration and production company, given, you know, what I imagine is a limited workforce, a limited number of hours in the day that you have as a, a chief executive? Yeah, it's just, I think it's just a matter of focus because we're, we're not looking all over Africa. We're looking, you know, at, at our assets in Morocco, uh, in, in Egypt, and we're focused on shores, which means we keep our costs very low. So in the case of uh, Egypt, you know, we have exploration opportunities um, in certain parts that we will talk about here in a minute where we just had a success. And in Morocco, where we picked them up, we're just looking to pick up assets around uh, our existing businesses. So step out opportunities, um, things that we can connect into our, our local pipeline. Um, and so for us, it's just a matter of focus. We focus on what we can do on the capital that's available to us. And so the well costs, you know, for an exploration well, 
we're going to drill in Morocco is going to cost us between $850,000 and a million, right? So relatively cheap. We just drilled a well in Egypt where our partner carried the first three million of it, and the total well cost is around four. So, you know, we, we do what we can within our cash flow. And so we focus on those opportunities that can deliver things that we can manage that are the right size for us, right? So we don't go and look in the deep water. We're not trying to change the world. We're just focused on what we can do in and around the asset base we have and just grow kind of organically from there. Given that cost base then, I mean, are you, are you relatively com- comfortable at the moment with the oil price jump, you know, oil and gas prices jumping around on wh- whatever, you know, OPEC ministers are saying day to day? I think you might find this surprising, but for us, you know, we can make money down to $21 Brent. Right. So if the price of oil drops, uh, we see a lot of opportunities to pick up assets uh, where other people are struggling because um, I did mention up front, we're debt free. And so, you know, we generate uh, free cash, we're debt free. A lot of companies aren't in that position. So when the oil price drops, um, asset prices become cheaper. And so we see more opportunities uh, becoming available when the price drops. Now, obviously, we'd like to see the price increase because our revenues increase uh, commensurate with that. But for us, uh, having a lower oil price for you know a limited period of time is not a problem. We, we, we see that as an opportunity to buy additional assets. Let's talk hypothetically then about uh, additional assets. And you know this is a perennial issue for people investing in, in AIM, yeah. is that natural resources companies return to the market they see something great it's the next big thing and then they're you know they're diluted in a in a fundraising what 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 are the you know as you're looking uh, looking to the rest of the year what's your attitude to to further fundraising if these opportunities came available yeah i don't think we're gonna well i'm I'm, in fact i'm certain we're not going to fundraise for the remainder of 2017 um the only time we would go back to the market is if we saw a great opportunity like like circle we just made a discovery in a, in the Nile Delta called South Souk. That needs to be developed. So our cash flow is going to be focused on that. So we can develop that at the moment without any additional uh, fundraise. Um, that's really what we're we're trying to do. If the price drops, if the opportunity set becomes available, and we see something attractive, we're certainly going to are going to you know try and acquire it. And that may require a fundraise. But if you look at what we did in the last fundraise, nobody was deleted. It was very accretive, and so you know we. We announced the fundraise and our share price was 30p and, and within a matter of a month or so, you know, it almost doubled. So I think we can make good accretive acquisitions um, if we stick to our discipline approach that we've had in the past. And so, you know, even if we do see an opportunity and we have to go fundraise, it will not be dilutive to any shareholders. On the subject of fundraising, and perhaps I should have asked this at the beginning, I mean, some some investors will be keen to know as well, uh, listeners will be keen to know. You're already listed on TSX. Why aim as well? What's the what's the the point or or service that two two markets provide to you? Yeah, I think you know we we were originally listed on TSX, kind of a legacy thing, and we came to aim deliberately uh, in May of last year because we felt that the investor base here understood Egypt and understood Africa better, perhaps than our investor base back in Toronto did in are, North America. Are there parallels there with other companies that investors may be a bit more familiar with or? Um, that are dual listed. Uh, Sorry, that, that, that have exposure to North Africa. Um, no, I mean, there are many companies that have uh, exposure to North Africa. Uh, a couple that are aim listed as well. Uh, yeah, I. But again, we we came because, you know, we we talked to the market. The institutional investors are here. Um, they a lot of investors invest in Africa, and so we found that it was a very uh, welcoming and um, interesting. Uh, asset base here for us to for us to tap, and so we've had a lot of inst- good institutional support since we listed. And um, you know, when we came to AIM, we told people, "Look, we see opportunities in the space." Uh, at the time, it was primarily in Egypt, so you know, we intend to grow. And are you interested in growing with us? And, and the answer we got was a resounding yes. So, so that was for us. I think 
something very important. We wanted good, solid uh, institution and retail shareholders as well um, that have uh, supported the story. And so that's the biggest reason we came here. So, Paul, I know you, you worked for uh, an all-major for a number of years. I mean, how does the current role and, and current ways of doing business in the cycle compare with you know, project sanctions and, and the like uh, at larger, some of your larger peers? Well, so the nice thing is when you work for a major, you typically start when you're quite young. So you can go and, and uh, try things and experiment and not they don't all work. And, you know, it's kind of their nickel that you're doing it on. So mm-hmm. so that's one thing. But also, I think it, you know, I worked for Shell for quite a while. And, it, it you know, you have a very uh, rigorous technical training. Um, you see how the process works. Um, and you also see how sometimes it doesn't work to, to your advantage. So coming to a small company allows you to kind of take the best of both worlds. You're much more entrepreneurial. You can do things a lot quicker. The projects are slightly smaller, but you can still apply the same technical rigor that you did when you were at a major company. And I think that combination works for us. It's also because it's a small environment, everybody has skin in the game. So if you're successful, you know, everybody benefits. And so that makes it a kind of a much more enjoyable, I'd say part of the process. So, you know, I think the combination is interesting. I started with a very large company and I've gone to progressively smaller companies (laughs) And I would say I really enjoy um, the small company environment, particularly when, you know, things are going well. Like you have a discovery, you have good cash flow, you have opportunities ahead of you. You know, that's really when working for small companies is fantastic in my mind. Brilliant. Well, there you have it. So I've been speaking with Paul Welch of SDX, ticker SDX on AIM. Paul, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And uh, for more Investors Chronicle podcasts, including interviews, debates, and the usual roundups from the companies, markets, and personal finance teams, go to investorschronicle.co.uk or visit ACAST or iTunes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.